This morning our reading will be found in the first book of Samuel, the seventh chapter. We'll be reading the 15th through the 17th verse. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it'll be page 249. I'll be reading from the King James Version. Chapter 7, verse 15 through 17. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you being here is encouragement to us. It's a great way to start the new year, isn't it? And we hope that we can do this many times together and give God all the glory. What did you do with your extra second? Many of you probably know that the Institute of Standards and Technology, they have to adjust the time about once every seven years. And last night, you probably noticed, but you had an extra second at about 6 o'clock in the evening. That's when they adjusted the time. And we literally experienced a minute that was 61 seconds long so that we'll be on the standard and the correct time for the rest of 2006. What did you do with the year last year? What are your plans for 2006? If you haven't thought about that, it's just a natural time. Not that we can make changes at any time. It's not that it's a must right now. But this is just a good time for us to stop and think about our life and to think about what is it that we can do differently? What is it that we can stop doing that we've needed to stop doing for a good while? What is it that we need to start doing that we've been putting off and now's the time to go ahead and start doing it? How is it that you and I can grow closer in our relationship with others? And what is it that we can do to grow closer in our relationship with God? I want to encourage you that now is a good time to set some resolutions. Now's a good time to be determined to grow. I like the quote that Whitney Robertson says, Only a few of us take our New Year's resolutions with great seriousness, but the practice of making them does afford us the opportunity to recall what we most value and to reorient ourselves toward these values. Most people, if you ask them by the end of the year, they say, I, I haven't kept my New Year's resolutions. But you know, the truth is we all ought to be looking in our life on a daily basis to things that we value the most. And not losing sight of the important things and keeping the main thing the main thing. And so if you haven't done so yet, it's still the 1st, January the 1st. This afternoon, be sure you get out a piece of paper and at least write down areas that you plan to grow and some notes about how you plan on doing that. And let's give God the glory and give Him the life this year as 2006 should move to become one of the best years that we've ever experienced. In 2006, as a church family, we're going to have the theme of coming home in 2006. And as you see on your screen there, Throughout the year, we'll be looking at different lessons and different series, and we won't take every Sunday, but occasionally throughout the year, we'll be looking at these kinds of topics. We're going to be looking at coming home to God in revival, our personal life, 
Are you home with God? And has God made His abode with you? We're going to look at coming home to God's family and restoration. You know, as a congregation, this year marks our 115th anniversary that we have met in Mount Juliet at this location. Now think how many people there are around us that they too have been baptized into Christ, and they too are our brothers and sisters, but they aren't right in their relationship right now with God. I hope you'll begin today praying for those individuals. And it's our prayer, and it's our hope, and it's our expectation that we'll reach some of those individuals in 2006. Our homecoming this year is going to have a great emphasis on bringing people back home. Not just home to visit for a Sunday as they live in other cities, which that would be fine and wonderful too. But we're talking about bringing people back home to God's family and their life being right with God and with God's people. We're also going to spend some time this year looking at the family and making our life good in the home family. We're going to talk about coming home to the potential with purpose making sure that our life is fulfilling all the purpose and fulfilling all the potential that God would have for us. We're going to talk about our destination for an eternity, our home with God for an eternity this year. And we're going to talk about sharing our home with others in evangelism. Wouldn't it be terrible if we had something offered to us as the hope of heaven, but yet we didn't share it with anyone? And wouldn't it be terrible if we stood on the day of judgment beside those that knew us and them say, you never mentioned him to me? Those are a few of the things that we'll talk about this year as we think about home from many different angles and aspects. Also, this year, I want to encourage you to get very active in the home church here in the congregation of Mount Juliet. There will be calendars made available to you as you exit in the foyers. Uh, in the foyer, they'll be at each of the doors this morning as you exit. Please be sure that you reach for one of these gold orange, what color is that? For that color of uh, paper that you'll see there. And it'll have every major event. And I encourage you to plan your vacations and plan, uh, mark your calendars with the events. And uh, let's make sure that we are a part of everything that we can and should be a part of to serve God in this place. Today is a special day for us, not just because it's a new year and because we look with great expectation to 2006, but today, we'll look with great expectation with 2006 with more leaders than we have ever had as a congregation. We have more people than we've ever had. We have a greater contribution than we've ever had. Along with such blessings comes great responsibility. And we pray and we hope that we use that responsibility wisely. Today, there will be many men added to the office of deacon, along with many others that have served quite effectively for several years. And it's our hope and prayer in this that we can do more for God's glory, that we can multiply the workers and multiply the responsibilities so that everyone here, everyone here will have an opportunity to serve God this year in a greater fashion than what we've served Him in the past. I hope that if you're here this morning and you haven't been quite as involved as, as what you have wanted to be in the past, I hope that at the close of this service, when you see these men being appointed to the office of deacon, that you realize one of the great reasons that we have as many deacons as we have is because we want to make ministry available for every member. Please consider seriously our SOS booklet that describes all of our works, and please find a place to serve along with these men. The goal in the scriptures, 
And of course, in the life of this church, is not for these men to do all the work. The goal is for these men to work along with all of us as we serve God together. When we think about servants, and we think about home, Samuel is a man that has to come to mind. The text that was so capably read for us just a moment ago reminds us of this fact. Look again at 1 Samuel, the 7th chapter, verse 15 through 17, and especially notice uh, verse 17, as he says in 17, but he always returned to Ramah. You see there up in 15 and 16, he was a judge, judging Israel all the days of his life. And we see that from year to year, he went on the circuit, going about doing the Lord's work. But now notice what he did. Notice the emphasis. Surely you agree with me. Every verse in the Bible is there for a reason. Why is this verse in the Bible? What is it that God wanted us to see about Samuel and his love for his home and his dedication and devotion to his home? Look, if you will, in verse 17 where it says, but he always returned to Ramah. Why? For his home was there. There, what? In Ramah. What's Ramah? His home. There he judged Israel. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now when we think about Samuel, if you remember the story of Samuel, he was the one born to Hannah, and Hannah couldn't have a child, and she cried and she prayed for this child, and God blessed her with a son. And she promised God, if you'll give me this son, I'll give him back in service to you. And oh, it breaks your heart when you read the first chapter or two of 1 Samuel because you see this little boy weaned and he's taken and he grows up in the temple of Shiloh there with Eli. And it's just heartbreaking to think about the little boy going and having to leave his mother and father and growing up there. But you know what? We read this passage here, and by the way, in the first chapter we see that he was conceived and probably born in Ramah. That was his home. But what do we see here as a man, what does he do? He goes back to his home. And we know also that he has a wife and that he has sons, and there's disappointments in his family. No family's perfect. But you know what? Through this short text that we read here, we see that this man was not only devoted to the work of God, but he was devoted to constantly going home. Now, we would close out the life of Samuel in the 25th chapter in verse 1, and it's no surprise that where he wanted to be buried was that he was buried at home in Ramah. You see, I would suggest to you that when we read the life of Samuel, home was an important place to Samuel. We need a home. When we think about a home, and we think about the definition of a home, we see definitions like this. It's a place to dwell. In other words, oftentimes we refer to our physical structure of a house where we live, we refer to it as our home. But also, another definition of home is the the social aspect, the relatives, the kinship there. We look to the people that live within that structure and we say, that's my home, that's my family. We look at extended relatives and we refer to them as a part of our home life. We also sometimes consider our origin. We say, well, that's where I was born. That's my home. We sometimes refer to home as a place. I'm an American, or I'm an African, or I am Irish. And we refer to 
the place from where we've come, we say, that's my home. We sometimes also refer to home as a place where something was uh, promoted, where it was discovered, where it exists. In other words, we don't have to live around here very long before we hear home of the Grand Ole Opry. Why? Because it's where it's promoted. It's where it exists. What comes to your mind when you think of home? Unless you've had an abusive life, I can almost assure you that pleasant thoughts come to your mind when you think of home. When we talk about home cooking, when we talk about home free, you see almost every expression that you can think of in our English language that deals with home, they're positive expressions. When we think about the home page on a website, why is that called the home page? When we think about where we keep our fingers on a keyboard, why do we call them home row? There's just something about those roots. There's something about having a place to go back to. There's something about having a security and belonging. Friends, I suggest to you that maybe one of the reasons Samuel was such a powerful leader is because he had a home. He had a good mama that prayed for him and apparently a good father. He had a home, even as an adult, he had a home that he went back to. We all need a home, and when we look in the Scriptures, we see in the Scriptures the importance of home. As a matter of fact, when we go back to Genesis, the second chapter, we see the very beginning of the creation of man. And when we read in verse 8, Genesis, the second chapter, in verse 8, he says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. What did He do? He created man, and what did He do? He gave him a home. Man knew his origin. Verse 7, he knew that he was created of God, and God breathed into him the breath of life. But he gave him a place to dwell. And we read further in Genesis, the second chapter, and he gave him companionship. He gave him a home with a wife. In Genesis 2, Genesis 2 is all about home. It's about where you're from, where you're living, who's your family. It has always been important to God that individuals have a home, that they have somewhere to dwell, that they have somewhere to put their roots down, that they have somewhere to belong in a relationship to someone else. But also we see that this family, and if you might want to be glancing at a few verses out of Malachi, the second chapter, we also see throughout the Bible, and I'm just going to mention one passage at the end of the Old Testament, we see that Home is important in leadership. You see, at the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi, the second chapter, he addresses the leaders and he rebukes them strongly because they had dealt treacherously with the wife of their youth. In other words, he's saying to the leaders, one of the problems that I have with you as leaders of my people is that you haven't been leading your home in an effective way. When we read verse 15, after many verses of dealing directly with this topic, he says, but did he not make them one? He's given a solution here, the way it ought to be. In other words, didn't he make one Adam and one Eve? Didn't he make one? Having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Look what it does. He seeks a godly offspring. 
Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, taking these verses that we read and placing them back in the context, God is saying, I've got a problem with the way you're leading my people. And he says, one of the reasons you're having such a problem leading my people is because you're not leading your people, your own family, the way it ought to be led. And then he deals straightforward to say, I hate divorce. But did you notice in the midst of what we read, he says, this produces godly offspring. One man and one woman. In other words, marriage, family, the home, the way God designed it is what produces godly offspring. Now, how important is this in leadership? Well, we've seen from the Old Testament, God uh, apparently thinks it's very important. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. In 1 Timothy, the third chapter, we see the list of qualifications of elders in the first seven verses, and he speaks about the need for a man's family as elders. Verse 4, one who rules his own house well. In other words, how important is family? Well, he has to be doing the job of a family man well, ruling his family well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Here's the explanation. We could ask why, and in verse 5 he would say, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not only for elders, he would give similar teaching, not the same, but he would give similar teaching to that for deacons. He would talk about the importance of the qualifications of deacons beginning in verse 8. He would talk about their wives in verse 11. The home has to be right. Then he would talk about the fact in verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. The man's relationship with his wife has to be faithful. The idea here is a one-woman man. He He has one wife and he is wholly devoted to her. He is a family man. Now notice the rest of this ruling their children and their own houses well. Friends, it may be something that we have taken for granted, but I want us to not take it for granted this morning and to stop and consider it straight on. When we think about home, home is so important to spiritual leadership. A man cannot long-term lead effectively if he is not the man in his home that he ought to be. Not in the Lord's church. A man cannot lead effectively long term in the Lord's church if he is not what he ought to be in his home. It always catches up. And the fact is, he's not even qualified according to the Scriptures. And so it is. When we think about the importance of home, and we think about Samuel, he made his rounds, but he always came back home. We all have challenges in life. To me, at my age, and where I am right now, my greatest challenge is to balance responsibilities at work, and to be the man in my home that I ought to be. But you know, it helps me when I study passages like this to realize 
that if I ever thought that I could excel at one and slight the other, I'm only fooling myself. Balance and challenge. Let's make sure that no matter what position we have in life, that we realize that if we slight our family long term, we will never benefit. Our family won't benefit. Our souls will not benefit. And so it is today, there will be men that will take on additional responsibility. And they will have an additional challenge along with that responsibility. And it will be the responsibility to serve a spiritual family which will demand time and effort and energy. But yet among all of that, God would say, don't stop being in your family what you ought to be. And that, is of great importance. But a second thing as, as we move quickly through this second point so that we have time also for the rest of this service this morning. Notice also that Samuel never stopped fulfilling his responsibility. Brother Jerry Jenkins, which is a man I look up to tremendously, uh, a man that I consider as one of my mentors. Uh, his wife died just this past week. A tremendous man uh, has raised a tremendous family and has been in ministry, I guess, for... Uh, 40 plus years, and a great evangelist that converts folks every week to Jesus Christ. I've heard him many times say to individuals, if you think that you can use your physical family as an excuse to not do the Lord's work, you're fooling yourself. Now, it may not have been those exact words, but that was the message over and over. Friends, Samuel didn't use his his family as, a, as an excuse of, Lord, I just can't ride the circuit this year. Lord, you know I've been riding the circuit from year to year judging your people. I'm just not going to ride the circuit this year. I, I have toddlers at home this year, Lord. Lord, I have teenagers at home this year. I just can't ride the circuit this year. Lord, I have grandchildren. My first grandchildren. I just can't ride the circuit this year. Lord, my wife's retired. We can finally now take some trips together. I just can't ride the circuit this year. Samuel was the last of the judges. He was the first of the prophets. He was a tremendous man, serving God in a tremendous fashion. He always made sure that he made his way back home. But you know what? He never let home be a reason to not do his work in God's kingdom. A few weeks ago, I saw one of our deacons here a few times during the week preparing for a large event that would involve many of you, and many of you were here. And I saw him unloading a rather large load out of his vehicle. He had a son that was pocket high. And that son was going right back and forth with him, step by step. He'd get a load. His daddy'd get a load. They'd make a load. They'd drop it and they'd go back. What's he doing? 
He's doing the Lord's work and involving his family in the Lord's work. That's the way God's always intended for it to be. God's always intended for us to serve Him as families. I know we choose areas that we want to work, but I want to challenge you. If you haven't done this in 2005, you find something in 2006 that you will do in the Lord's kingdom with your family. Go on a mission trip with your young person, and you won't believe the blessing that it is. Work together at a work day, shoulder to shoulder, and you won't believe the blessing that it is. Make visits to the sick in the hospital with your family. Go to shut-ins. Find something that you do together as a family. We need responsibility. And as... Let's move all of this to a close by looking at Luke the ninth chapter. Luke the ninth chapter... Very powerful passage, a passage that oftentimes disturbs us. I'm going to read a few verses before what you have on your screen. You have on your screen 61. I'm going to start back in verse 57, and then we'll close this lesson as we think about our responsibility. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. He said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another said to him, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So they were at his home. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now God, Christ could say these things because He knew the hearts of individuals. And no doubt, He knew the hearts of these individuals had not placed Him as the highest priority. When these individuals were asking to go back to their family, He knew that they had placed their physical family as a higher priority than their relationship with God. And we know that to become a follower of Jesus, we have to not only deny others, we have to deny self to follow Him. We have to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so here he sees that the priorities are out of order. But notice what he says here. He also is pointing a very clear picture. If you picture the physical labor involved of plowing, he's saying anybody that follows me is going to have to be a laborer. They're going to have to be a worker. This morning, I want you to ask yourself, could you describe yourself in the work of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ as a laborer? Many times I've seen my grandfather wrap his hands around a plow behind a mule, and I've seen him sweat till you could see through his shirt. There's nothing about rest and ease when your hands are wrapped around a plow. It's labor. The Lord says, a man is not fit. It's a misfit. You don't belong in the church. If you think that the idea of coming into the church is first putting your hands around the plow, okay, Lord, I'm ready to serve you, I'm ready to work. But then the next thing you know, they're looking around. Where's the shade tree? Where's a spring I can go and maybe I can lay down for a little while? Where's some people that's not working and I can hang out with those people that aren't working? 
My plow's here and my work's here. And the Lord says, don't you dare start looking back. You're not fit. If you're looking to not serve. Friends, this morning, I hope you're home. I hope you're home with the Lord. I hope you're right in your physical home. I hope you're home in the church family. And as wonderful as it is to have roots and to have a place to belong, I need to recognize that one of the things that the Lord expects about being home in the church family is He expects us to get to work. On heaven, on earth, there's not really a lot of shade trees. On earth is a time to work. And in heaven, in heaven there's rest. Thank God that we have a congregation that works, that serves. But let's all make sure that we're what we ought to be. This morning, if you're not baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, if you're ready to repent of sins as a believer, won't you confess before men and do that? And let's have that close relationship with God. Let's worship faithfully and let's get to work. Maybe you've had that close relationship, but something has separated you from God. Remove what it is that's separating you. Come forward and confess sins, and let's pray forgiveness. And let's all make sure that this morning that we have our hands to the plow and we're not looking back. Let's come home in 2006. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you.
seated. We are excited this morning that Elizabeth Spiegel has come forward and she makes a beautiful statement here. She says, I've been wondering what if a lot lately. What if I'm not here tomorrow? What if the world is not here tomorrow? And I know the only way to stop wondering is baptism. And I can't think of a better way to start this year. And uh, we rejoice with her. Uh, what a, a blessing she and her family is to our family here at Mount Juliet. And uh, we are thankful and rejoice with uh, all of them. And we are thankful for this opportunity to start the year off this way with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? If you'd like to read with me, I'll be reading Colossians, the third chapter, the first 11 verses. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immortality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them who also once walked when they were living in them, but now you also put them on all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evidence practices, evil practices, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. As we continue to focus our thoughts on baptism, let's sing number 18. 18. Faithful going down from the
Elizabeth, upon your great confession, I now baptize you for the remission of your sins into the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our sympathy is extended to Aileen Spurlock on the death of her sister-in-law, Sue Forkham. Her funeral was Saturday in Gainesboro. Stephanie Gasly's father, Reed Maynard, is recovering from prostate surgery. He had that Friday in Cookville. William Walden, who placed membership with us uh, last Sunday, had a bad fall on concrete yesterday. He bruised his ribs, dislocated a finger, had other scrapes and bruises. He was treated at the hospital and has now returned home. Please remember to keep these and all those on your sick list and your thoughts and prayers this week. I have a note from uh, Bobby Cole. He would like to thank everyone for the food, toys, teddy bears, and money. Your generosity is overwhelming. He says we were able to deliver food to 106 families and toys to many more than that. A special thanks to Megan and Matt Fisher for going to help. The young people worked real hard delivering the food and the toys. That was signed by Bobby Cole. There are sign-up sheets in the, over by the teen board for those interested in going to Evangelism University or the Challenge Youth Conference. Any adults who can help with the Evangelism University, please talk to Phil. And you do need to get your deposits in for those just as soon as you can. For those going on the youth ski trip, please turn in your $50 deposit or pay the full $125 to Doug or Sharon Perry. You need to do that today. Today is also the deadline for registration forms to be turned in for the El Salvador trips. Please let Buddy Pickler know if you sent your form directly to Forest Park. Medical personnel need to have their forms turned in to Forest Park by January 18th. This is only required if you've not traveled with this group before or if your license has expired since last year's trip. Also, if you'd like to go a couple of days early, Buddy can adjust your ticket. You just need to talk to him as soon as you can. Fun night will be January 6th at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Everyone is invited. Bring your favorite dish and join the fun, food, and fellowship. The men's breakfast is Saturday, January 7th at 8.30 in the Fellowship Hall. Tom Holland will be speaking. There is a sign-up in the foyer. Also next Saturday, we'll have the teddy bear workshop. There's a great need for more teddy bears as we continue to respond to those in need. 
The ladies' annual kickoff breakfast will be January 14th, registration at 8.30. Please sign up for that in the foyer. The Tuesday ladies' class resumes on January 10th. The cornerstone class, this is the uh, class taught by Tony Huddleston, will resume on January 8th. Mount Dora Children's Home has an opening for house parents. If you're interested, please see the bulletin board for details. The spring term of the Nashville School of Preaching begins uh, this Tuesday, and uh, there are details on that out on the bulletin board. We'll be conducting the service at Mount Juliet Healthcare at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Everyone is invited. The family communication dinner will be this Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Disaster relief will be packing boxes on Tuesday, and we will have a van leaving the building at 845. After our final song, James Whitaker will have a closing prayer. Number 749, 749, as we focus on the addition of men to serve as, as additional deacons, uh, let's focus on the battle that is ahead of us as we fight for a common cause. We'll sing the first and last verse of 749. In if you'll come up. Two weeks ago, the elders placed before you the names of men that we considered to serve here at Mount Juliet. And having gone that period of time and received no reason why we should not, this morning we wish to set before you these men as...